Welcome to the Diving Pod. I'm Dr. Ashley Zapata. I'm Heath Calhoun. And I'm Aaron Rooney. Once again, this episode is brought to you by Sideline Scout. Uh, video replay is critical in diving, and Sideline Scout has perfected it. They have uh, the wonderful Poolside Live. It lets you kind of slow-mo, rewind, just hone in on the key details of each dive. Um, it's definitely the best in the business. So get over to sidelinescout.com. Check out their packages. Uh, you, it's, it's absolutely the best money you can ever spend on a video replay system for our sport. So we're going to jump right in here. Um, our community has been begging for us to try to get some sports psychologists on. And so we reached out and uh, we're fortunate that Dr. Zapata was willing to join us. So can you um, just take as much time as you need? Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you, your background, how you got interested and became a sports psychologist and where are you now? All right. Okay. Let's see. Um, I am currently located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, and I work with Premier Sports Psychology. We're, our offices are in Edina, Minnesota, but we've got some satellite things going on with other teams. Um, and it's been uh, a real pleasure to be a part of Premier to this point. I offer mental health and performance-based services to a wide array of athletes, and it's pretty exciting. I work with adolescents. I work with Division One, Two, II, and Three uh, college athletes professional athletes, elite athletes, pretty much everyone um, and across sports. So no, I always tell people no two days or two weeks even are, are the same. And that's pretty cool. Um, I have been in the field of sports psych since 2015. And I got interested by um, a professor of mine at the institution that I got my master's in, in PsyD and clinical psych from who was working with the then San Diego Chargers. Um, and also the um, MLB team out there in San Diego. And so very quickly, I was like, wow, this is a field where we help people perform at their optimal level. This is really cool. Um, it just, everything about it fit with my personality, fit with my interest in psychology and the rest is kind of history. So I always tell people my work never truly feels like work because I really enjoy what I do. And um just love working with athletes and helping them achieve. Yeah, no, I love that. So you already explained kind of who you work with. Um, but do you have like a favorite sport or a favorite thing mm -hmm. that you're trying to help athletes with, whether it's a performance for one night or, you know, a season long longevity or, you know, what's your favorite? And um, do you have a, a favorite sport that you like to hone in on the most? You know, you're not the first one to ask me that first person to ask me that. Um, I don't have a favorite sport. I just, I work with so many different athletes that I just, I truly just enjoy working with the athlete. Um, and that could be specifically for one high pressure event, or it could be over the course of a semester or a season. Um, I enjoy creating relationships and building rapport with those athletes. And sometimes I'll see an athlete pretty consistently on a weekly or biweekly basis. Sometimes I'll see them kind of once a month, once every few months, once in a season, you know, but I just like to think that I'm helping to plant some seeds of trusting the therapeutic process, trusting using sports psych so that sometime in the future, if they need something, then they can access resources wherever they may be. Um, I will say like a area that I tend to specialize in is anxiety. Um, I try to normalize the experience of anxiety to the best that I can and, and help people to recognize that anxiety is, is a form of energy that if you redirect can be used to your advantage. I think we 
think about anxiety and we get nervous about it immediately, like, oh, this is something I need to fix or change or get rid of. But um, the bulk of my work is helping athletes to use it to their advantage. And it, I, just a follow up with that. In our sport of diving, we have tons of one meet. This is it. This is your moment. What are certain things that, you know, you can, you can provide, you can let us in a little insight of how we can, as simple coaches, not in your amazing profession, what can we do to get better for those really big ones, those really big moments? You know, the, one of the biggest things I think coaches have the power to do and a really cool power to do is be a really active and engaged listener and participant in the athlete's experience and in their journey. Um, I think being a coach gives you just a really cool relationship with an athlete. And if they're building that trust with you enough to say, Hey coach, this is something I'm dealing with or Hey coach, this is something I'm worried about. Then as their coach being actively engaged in what they're saying, being, um, very much in their corner, wanting to create space as best as you can and offering them resources, right? You, as the coach, you don't have to be the sports psychologist, but if that's what they're needing, then my hope is that you can direct them in that the path of that sports psychologist or that resource. So I think that's uh, definitely the number one thing. And being empathetic and patient. Um, many athletes have things going on at home, have things going on just mentally, trying to manage, trying to overcome challenges. And so being very patient with that process as well. Cool. Awesome. Um, so we're going to jump into our like community questions. So what we did was um, we had a Facebook group with a bunch of diving coaches all across the country. Um, I think all across the world. And we had a few um, send some questions in. So we're going to kind of go through, I'll try to give credit to whoever asked the questions um, as we go through. Um, so question number one was, are there any core things that we should be doing as coaches to help our athletes identify and conquer their fears and anxieties? This was asked by Ben from Triad Diving Academy. Um, I'm going to reiterate what I said about uh, being an active and an engaged listener to your athlete, providing them with resources whenever possible, um, being compassionate, empathetic to the fact that athletes are never just athletes. Athletes have so many intersecting um, and unique and dynamic identities that they bring to their sport. Um, you can't just parcel those out. Um, you really do need to acknowledge that a person is coming in as their whole selves and make space for that. And, and what I mean by making space for that is um, never assuming based on an athlete's identity or presentation or something that's going on in their lives that they may present a certain way, act a certain way, do certain things, um, ask questions, make, make an effort to connect with your athlete so that they don't feel like uh, a commodity or, um, or just an athlete, really getting out of that mentality. And again, yeah. coaches have a really unique space to be incredibly impactful to those athletes. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. This next one came in from Steve Scone, Scone Bachelor, Scone Bachelor. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. I really butchered that. I'm not great with names. Um, he asked, would using educational psychology work effectively in training athletes? He had an example. One diver uses more visual imagery in training than another. Um, I think in terms of referencing the fact that you have athletes that are using certain skills, using that as an ed educational tool, if I'm understanding the question correctly, yeah. um, I think that's great. More often than not, athletes will 
at the very least be curious about something that their peers are doing far more quickly than if myself even or um, coaches or, or others within authority or evaluative spaces uh, might offer uh, nine times out of 10, if, if a peer is doing it, then they might feel, oh, this is interesting. How can I get involved or check this out? I know that's something I've certainly seen at the professional level. Um, you know, I could ask some guys or some athletes, you know, hey, do you want to try this activity? And they might shrug and say, yeah, I don't need that. But when they see someone else doing it, and like, oh, let me check it out. So in that sense, yeah, I think that can be very helpful um, and effective at at least getting someone interested in using very different approaches that could potentially help their um, performance and mental game. Sure. Awesome. Um, so next up is uh, John Santu. He was a Auburn diver, two-time SEC champion on tower. What are some things some coaches and athletes can be aware of regarding trauma after a big event, such as smacking from 32 feet, hitting the board? And what, what would you recommend is the best way to approach overcoming that, that fear, anxiety mentality? Yeah, I think ooh, approaching that like any physical trauma um, and recognizing that that athlete may have significant anxiety, significant um, mental challenges to approaching that space or that event again, because what will likely happen is they may have a trauma response to being in that exact location or space, and they need time to work through and process that. Again, hopefully with a sports psychologist or, or even in um, counseling specifically. Um, so being patient, being understanding with that process, and to the best of your ability, not pushing or pressuring that athlete to get better faster. You know, acknowledging that this athlete didn't intend for this to happen, and they're certainly not happy this is happening, right? They're having to work through and process their emotional reactions to this as well. So, um, you know, I know in sport, it's, there's lots of business and operational things happening behind the scenes. But again, getting back to the fact that athletes are not just athletes, um, there's a level of patience that I think is required that coaches are really well positioned to offer. And some athletes are coming into different levels of sport with really traumatic experiences within coaching styles. And so wanting to be very mindful of that too, like, ooh, how can I give this athlete a corrective experience and support them to the best of my ability? Sure. Well, uh, Justin Moser from Niagara U, he asks about mental blocks. Uh, we have a ton of these in diving. We see people lose skills one day and then don't regain them for, I don't know, even years. Yeah. Um, what, is there a better term to use than mental block is his first question. And then number two is how do you overcome mental blocks? I, I once saw one athlete, she was so terrified to do this dive. She just, she wouldn't move. She would get up on the board and she would freeze and a, a minute, two minutes would go by and she had to climb back down the ladder. And it's just, I, I've never experienced that myself. It's, uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say on that. Yeah, um, that is a very popular common um, concern that myself and colleagues will see in athletes. Um, to answer the first part of that question. Now, on, on the one hand, I, I wanna use language that an athlete is coming in with. So if the athlete is saying, this is my mental block, then I wanna be sensitive to how they're describing that. Yep. But this might just be me personally. I, I, I like to positively reframe 
and practice cognitive restructuring with my athlete in the moment. So rather than going with the mental block after that first session, we're going to start to transition to uh, a challenge, an opportunity for growth, because I don't want them to have a inherently negative expectation of what they're experiencing. Um, and I want them to start to develop a growth mindset to the thing that they're coming in to process and deal with. So that's, uh, that's amazing. I mean, without even going further, that's yeah. phenomenal. I mean, yeah. one of my questions we'll get to later deals with something similar. You just touched that. That's, I love that. I, I yeah. love that. Well, it's just, it's so, especially for diving and you said it earlier, you know, a lot of it's happening between the ears. Yeah. If my, if that, if my mental loop is playing on, I have a block, then it's the same old adage of, if I say, don't hit this wall, then I'm probably going to walk into this wall. <laughs> I keep telling myself not to. Yeah. And that's not a growth mindset. That's going to very much keep us glued to where we are. And we're not going to see any progress. So um, cognitive restructuring happens at a very elementary level, which is what are you allowing to replay in your mind? What's, what's playing it as a loop? And so, um, you know, I've even heard people describe mental blocks as mental fatigue. Um, again, if an athlete comes in initially calling it that, then I'm going to use their language, but we're eventually going to steer to something that's much more growth focused because when it's growth focused and it's a challenge, then it's something I can overcome in like instinct in, instantly. My brain says I can overcome this. If it's a block, then the first thing I might think consciously or subconsciously is I'm stuck. I can't get past this. It's a brick wall. How the heck am I going to climb over this? And then that process makes me more anxious, more stressed. And then physiologically, we're back in fight, flight, or freeze mode, and I'm stuck all over again. <laughs> yep. So there's there's so much power in language and, and how we describe things and define things for ourselves. Perfect. And any uh, tips, tricks, how to overcome those? Many. <laughs> <laughs> Um, first and foremost, confidence. Um, and that will typically start with walking an athlete through rudimentary techniques that are very baseline. Let's go back to the basics. Let's remind yourself of these little things that you can do without even thinking about it. And then let's progressively build on the difficulty of those skills or techniques until we get to where you're at now. And throughout that entire process, the athlete is also reflecting on their strengths, reflecting on other, other events that were um, adversity ridden and that they still overcame. I want an athlete to remember that they can do this. So the challenge that they're dealing with in the present moment, it's probably taken a different form, but it's not entirely new. They've, they've likely to be at the level that they're at they've likely had to overcome something very similar. So they just need to remember that. A lot of my work feels like I'm helping athletes remember things that are already in their consciousness, but there's noise, there's stressors, there's expectations, there's all this stuff that tends to distract an athlete from just how truly gifted and talented they are. And once you tap into that and remember that, um, we tend to see that athletes build that confidence and can work through those, those mental challenges, performance challenges, or performance opportunities for growth. However you want. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. Um, 
So you already answered uh, kind of the next one from uh, Jacob Butler. So I'll kind of go to the next question here is uh, from Matt O'Neill at Harvard. Um, do you have any advice for leaving outside stress out of the pool to be able to focus just when you're in your athletic realm? Yeah, that's such a great question. And uh, there's really like a two prong approach that I like to take to questions like this. The first is um, we don't just have a switch in our minds to turn on or turn off what's happening in our lives. Um, nor should we try to emulate having this level of a switch is the first thing, because like I said before, you're not just an athlete. You, you're very much a whole person with all kinds of things happening. And we don't want to ignore that. We want to validate that because that's, that's part of who you are, part of what you're dealing with. But on the second prong of that is in the present moment, can you redirect your focus from the things that are stressing you out happening in the background to just what is the task at hand? Because all of that emotion, all of that stress is energy. And just like I said about anxiety and redirecting that to use that to your best benefit, you can do the same with every other emotion. I heard a colleague of mine um, years ago say that um, emotion is energy in motion. And I love that. I was like, what? This is so cool. You should remark this. I'm sure someone else said it before they said it, but <laughs> the point was that often I think athletes come into my sessions and they say something like, oh, I know I'm not supposed to be mad or I know I'm not supposed to be stressed and all of these things. And I'm like, but did that situation make you mad? Did that situation make you stressed? It did, right? I'm going to validate that for you. And I'm going to try to, to help you redirect and navigate that space to use it to your best benefit. Um, and so we see that in contact sports, right? Like, you know, unleash yourself, be angry. <laughs> we see that, um, in a lot of very physical sports, but it's hard to, to redirect when it's not as physical, I think. And so walking through mental strategies and exercises that help you refocus. And to that end, I'll say there's, I've been, um, incorporating a lot more biofeedback and, and um, innovative uh, science techniques in, in how we're strengthening our cognitive ability and really priming our mental skills that I think would be wonderful in the sport of diving. But we can talk about that later. But um, all that to say, we never truly leave things at the door, um, but we do need to help athletes redirect their focus because it's only in that present moment that you can do anything. So I wanna focus on my task at hand that's where I have the most agency, but I also want to acknowledge that like, I got other stuff going on and I need to have a plan in place about how I'm going to deal with it. I don't want to get into the water thinking, oh shoot, I got to figure this out, figure that out, figure this out. And I have no plan because I'm not going to be focused and I'm probably going to hurt myself in the act right. of doing this work. Yeah. Right. So the next one's a really good one. Um, how can athletes overcome the what if fear, you know, fear of smacking is every time you step on the board, sometimes fear of hitting the board as well. How do you overcome those? What if fears? And then what skills, you know, are, are out there? That question came from Jennifer. Amen. The fear is real. The fear is valid. We want to validate that as a, as a significant concern, given that it's a sport that, um, you know, diving in particular is one that um, can be dangerous. And actually, I try to remind my athletes that you're typically doing things that majority of the 
human population is not actively doing. So your body is going to have a physiological reaction to jumping from a very high height into a pool of water. And that's okay. That's your body doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Now, the cool thing is you've actually prepped and practiced and prepared for the thing that you're about to do. So reminding yourself of how much effort, how much time, how much practice you've gone into doing that thing. I think a really powerful mental skill to use is imagery. Um, the more comfortable you can make your mind and body in doing certain um, techniques or, or activities, the more of an autopilot kind of feel you'll have, there'll be less hesitancy to doing it because I've been physically doing it in practice. So reps, reps, reps. Um, and mentally I've been walking myself through this as well. So I've been picturing myself, in, you know, in my approach, I've pictured myself once I've actually um, jumped into my dive. I've pictured every minute detail of this act um, to the point where it's crystal clear in my mind. That's how precise you want to get your imagery skill. That makes perfect sense. So this is one of my favorites that uh, Cliff from RIT asked, how do we work with our athletes to improve competitive performance that is not on par with what we see from the athlete in practice? So they're practicing better, better than competing. Yeah, I see this a lot um, in my, in the division one athletes that I see and for a lot of different reasons, but um, my approach is creating routine. <laughs> We are creatures of habit, I think, as humans. And the more of a routine and structure you have, the better you're gonna perform <clears throat> because anxiety is coming from uncertainty, not knowing what's gonna happen. So the more I can create routine and, and structure, the better primed I am to actually work through any anxiety that comes up. Um, so I always tell athletes, picture practice like it's a me. <laughs> picture yeah. practice like it's like, you know, all the stakes are out, high pressure. Because if you're practicing through that, then when it's actually on the line, this feels normal. <laughs> it doesn't feel as jarring to you because I've been practicing this way. Um, so I encourage that. I don't, you know, practice is not the space to be kind of lackadaisical, right? Practice is, you know, you put it all out there or you, you have a plan in place in terms of what you're bringing to this practice and why. Um, so I think there's just baseline should be an understanding that practice is practice for the real thing. So I want to make it as close to the real thing as possible. And if you can't um, technically make it feel that way, then mentally, mentally make it feel that way. Picture yourself in a big meet. What did it smell like, sound like, taste like, um, feel like the last time you were in that space? And can we recreate that mentally when you're in practice? Yeah. I, I love that. And uh, Dr. Ron O'Brien uh, touched on the same things. He said, you know, uh, mock meets and, and meet simulation. That was his biggest training tool that he used with the greatest diver of all time, Greg Luganis. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I kind of want to flip it the other way. I actually have a few athletes that are on both sides of the scale where their practice performance isn't very great. And then you get, in, you get them in a meet and you're like, where, where was that? We haven't, we haven't seen that in a week. This is amazing. How does, how, how do how do you go about that? The same way, honestly, yeah. it's like, if you can turn it on there, I want you to turn it on at practice too. 
Um, and that's, that may be a situation in a sports psych session where we talk about what is it that's getting you there. And sometimes it's, um, pre it's the pre-routine. So I'll have an athlete who says, well, before the game, I do, you know, this physical workout, I do this mental thing, but before my practices, I don't do that. And it's, you know, we don't know if, if it's exactly those those specific things that they're doing before the game that gets them turned on. But the fact that they're approaching it that way is signaling to their brain that this is an event that I need to approach differently. And we want to bring that to practice too, because both are events that you are pushing your body, pushing your mind to achieve a goal. And so sometimes that is um, setting higher practice related goals for yourself. Um, shifting how we look at practice, shifting the purpose of a practice, um, going into it knowing, hey, I'm gonna have this mock meet and I'm gonna, and this is for this reason. Um, so better understanding how to use that practice time and space. But again, visualize, add structure, add routine, bring it in both spaces. Don't bring it in one or the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now kind of looking at it, what easy to use or easy to find resources can coaches use to help develop like a mental training plan for their teams, whether it's pre-practice, post-practice, during practice, um, any recommendations or resources you would advise us to go and look at? Well, the first thing I would say there is um, if you have a relationship with sports psychologists, a sports psychology firm, a consultancy group, anything related to that, reach out to them. Um, because for example, premier sports psychology, we've got, um, mental game plans, training plans, all of that, right. Shameless plug. <laughs> no, we appreciate that. You're, you're yes. absolutely allowed to, <laughs> but also I think for, for coaches to, to reach out to, um, the, you know, these professionals that are in their environments that helps to create relationships and, Again, if, if an athlete comes to you needing something that's not really something you're comfortable providing, you can say, hey, here's a resource I have. Either this is a person on staff or this is a person in the community. I think that's it's always great to reach out to the providers that you have um, closest to you that can create longstanding relationships with your athletes. Sure. How about literature? Any books out there that from a coach perspective or an athlete perspective might be helpful? Yeah, my favorite is Mind Gym by Gary Mack. Uh, yeah, Mind Gym for me, I, I got hit to Mind Gym 20, 2011, 2012 or something like that. Um, and it was just, it was before I even decided to go full force into sports psych. I was just a book that someone recommended and I read it in a matter of days. It's a very easy read and it's very narrative. It's sharing of experiences and stories and they're laden with themes and lessons and skills. And so that hands down is one of my favorite books to read. Um, uh, the Champion's Mind um, is a second one. And you mentioned Greg Luganis um, earlier and I believe his book is Breaking the Surface. And that's a popular and, and obviously very sports specific um, resource I would offer too. I, I love the resources that are storytelling in their approach and sharing of experiences as opposed to all technique, all skill, although those are great too. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but I think athletes can more easily connect with the sharing of stories and experiences. Um, 
oftentimes athletes may come in, come into my sessions feeling like they're alone in what they're experiencing, whether it be performance focused or mental health focused. And I'm often sharing experiences that have been shared with me from others um, or general themes that I've heard kind of collectively. And it's always um, reassuring, I think, for those athletes to hear that they're not alone. So that's why I think that resources that share narrative experiences can be really powerful. Same for coaches, yeah. for coaches to hear experiences of other coaches. <laughs> for sure. We're going to segue a little into our signature questions. Um, sometimes they're a lot more diving based, but I'm excited for this one. For you personally, uh, my, my question is always, what is your favorite failure? Now we talked and I want to reword that and see if I can, you know, what is the, the best challenge you overcame? You know, failure has such a negative tone to it. Yeah. yeah after, it after talking with you, I kind of want to, all right, how can I reword that? How can I rephrase it to make it a, you know, positive rather than, you know, a negative tone? Mm-hmm my favorite opportunity for growth. There you go. <laughs> opportunity for growth. <laughs> um, you know, more recently, well, kind of recently. So last year, um, I registered for a indoor virtual world trial cycling race. Cool. <laughs> and, um, it, it was offered in, in, um, like it had different hour, offering so you could do a three-hour race I think six nine and then 12 24 um and this is all indoors mind you you're not going anywhere (laughs) (laughs) but your legs are moving for that whole time and so I initially registered for the three hour it was the first virtual race I'd ever registered for to do but the whole time I'm like I really want to do the 24. I really want to do the 24. I want to push myself. I want to do the 24. I know it sounds a little wild, but I think I want to do it. Um, but I didn't, I didn't listen to that voice. I just, I registered for the three and I was content. Um, fast forward, we're getting closer to the actual event. It gets canceled. Oh, I'm sorry. It gets uh-huh. rescheduled. They're like, we're having some technical difficulties with the software platform, whatever. We're going to push it out. So then I'm like, oh my gosh, I think this is a sign. <laughs> this is a sign that I actually need to pull out of the three hour and do the 24 because that's what I wanted to do the first time and why else would this whole thing get canceled or get (laughs) right clearly it was for me to be able to challenge myself um so that's what I did in the middle of the night I sent an email asking if my registration could be changed to the 24 um and I was scared and I was nervous and I was anxious and I was like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? But I was like, it's too late. I'm not going to email them back and say, never mind. Um, the, you know, the event came and I did it. I did not end up doing the full 24. I ended up stopping at about hour 14. Um, but I was so happy. I was so proud of myself. Uh, if I had gone with the three hour, I never would have known if I could do 14. And knowing that I made it to 14 was like, okay, maybe next time I can do 24, maybe next time I can do some other long number. But the fact is I gave myself space to see what was possible and I didn't restrict myself to the three hour. And so it was a, it was an opportunity for growth because I initially went with a three (laughs) and I, I put myself in a box and, and it was really limiting. And I think that athletes tend to do that sometimes. 
and not give themselves that space to just see what happens, right? You could surprise yourself. So for me, that was a great opportunity for growth. Um, I learned from that experience not to limit myself, no matter how new, no, no matter how uh, scary, no matter how much outside my comfort zone it might be, go with it, you know? Cool. And then I told myself, if I really get tired, I can just get off the bike. I'm in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so the next one here, you know, what I learned from this experience tonight was reframing those negatives and, and acknowledging that they are there, but then finding those opportunities for growth, finding those mental blocks and rewording it into, you know, overcoming a, a, a challenge rather than a block. And like you said, many times opportunity for growth. What is another thing a coach can do to help better their athletes? For me, that whole reframing thing that really resonated, I'm, I'm excited to kind of bring that to the pool deck. Um, it, for all of the other coaches listening out there, what else can they bring? Yeah. Um, I think an emphasis on using resources that are available, um, an emphasis on the importance of um, asking for help, asking for support, whether it's in the performance space or mental health space. Um, with regards to the reframing, I, I, I like people to also think about things that you say on a daily basis that has negative undertones to it that we don't even think about. Prime um, yep. example, you know, the phrase kill two birds with one stone. Um, a few years ago, a friend of mine was like, you know, why are we killing birds? That doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like something you want to do. Why are we using this phrase? And I was like, <laughs> no, it's just, it's a phrase you hear it, you use it, you know what it means. And they said, I'm going to start saying, um, I think they, they might've gone to a, a presentation and, and got this phrase, but they said, I'm going to say, feed two birds with one seed. And I said, oh my God, that's, that sounds so much better. So I, I, I shared that. Um, to say that when coaches are around their athletes and they're hearing athletes speak negatively about themselves, speak negatively about um, ex an experience, or just use language that's laden in negativity, that's just common language, like colloquial phrases, challenge that, you know, challenge that, give them an alternative, help them come up with an alternative. You know, it could be a silly phrase like kill two birds with one stone, or it could be something much more personal to the athlete and, and what they're, how they're describing their experience. So help that athlete to reframe that by giving them some alternatives and, and watching, managing how you're speaking of your coaching ability and style, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, you know, try to up the positivity notch uh, on that as well. Um, cause athletes are always listening, learning, taking in those things as well. Um, and emphasizing breathing strategies. That's a huge one, huge, huge, huge. I used to work in, um, or did a little bit of work with, um, pain patients in a, in a pain and rehab clinic in San Diego and, um, so much benefit to diaphragmatic breathing so much. I mean, you know, you know, as a, <laughs> you know, you know how important breathing strategies are, but just um, throughout practice, taking some time to collectively do a breathing exercise. Um, it's just so important. I always tell people you have 60 seconds to do a breathing exercise. I know you do. So normalizing that and making that even part of the routine. Yeah. It, you, you saying that made me actually think, and I, I can't remember for the life of me, what coach it was. They, 
I've, I heard them say it one time, they said, anytime they hear an athlete at practice, say something negative, they make them stop practice and they have to say like three positive things. I love it. And I'm like, that's it. such an easy thing to do. Normalize that. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So kind of jumping into these ones, um, what is your favorite mental exercise? You know, you just mentioned, um, breathing. What is your favorite mental exercise to do, um, for athletes? My favorite mental exercise is imagery practice. Always (laughs) engage your imagination. Um, you know, be as vivid with your senses and that picture in your mind as possible. Um, Imagery and visualization are sometimes used interchangeably. And the way that I like to distinguish one over the other is visualization is like, is like a snapshot. I'm taking a picture with my mind and that's helpful too, but visualization is like a full VR experience. (laughs) Um, It's kind of like a ready, ready player one experience. If you're familiar with that movie, like I am all in there, but I'm not actually there. Right. But I'm, creating this immersive experience because of something or because of an experience I've had in the past or because of what I'm, what I can imagine it to be in the future based on my experiences in the past. Um, And I think there's so much benefit to immersing yourself in that exercise. I think it's going to build confidence. I think it's going to reduce anxiety, stress, and overall prepare you for what's coming. Awesome. Thank you. And then, so best advice you have either given or received, and it could be life advice. It doesn't have to be specific to sports psychology or performance. Mm, Best advice I've ever been given was show up authentically, (laughs) you know, show up authentically and genuinely. Um, And for me, that was, that was huge at the time. Um, cause I didn't feel like showing up as my authentic self would somehow be, um, acceptable or well-received or just, just a lot of anxiety around like identities that I hold and showing up in spaces. Um, and then when I realized like, I really love who I am and I love how I show up, like someone's going to have to deal with it. <laughs> if you don't like it, then I mean, you don't like it, but, uh, I'm not going to dim my light for someone else to shine. I'm going to show up as myself because... I love who I am. And so I, um, I really want any athlete that I work with to feel that and know that, um, and show up as authentically and genuinely as they can, because they're unique, right? Yep. There's no other you that there will ever be like, you are you. And that's yep. so cool. So yeah, show that's, up, show us who that, that is. That That's awesome advice. I always tell athletes that are like, I always say the best compliment I can ever give an individual is you are unapologetically you. I'm like, that's the best, that's the best like compliment I could ever give a person. Um, and then my last question is, do you have any sports like colleagues or just someone that comes to mind when you're like, wow, they would be awesome on this podcast that you would want to listen to? Well, um, a number of them work at premiere. (laughs) (laughs) I figured, I figured Um, that. (laughs) And I, and I mean that I, I truly do mean that I'm fortunate to, to count my, my immediate colleagues at Premier as like some of the most phenomenal people that I've ever worked with. Um, and I'm not saying that because I think I'll get a raise. I'm saying that because it's, it's, true. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, I've learned so much from them. Um, one of whom is literally flying today, actually to Beijing to work with an Olympic team. And wow, that's just so cool. So really take your pick from the roster at Premier. And I think that's awesome on this podcast. That's awesome. Awesome. That's cool. Well, one more question on that. Um, for you, 
for your colleagues at Premier, how, who do you um, work with and how do they get a hold of you? How do they get in contact with you? Can any high school athlete just call up and say, hey, I, I would love to have a conversation. How does that whole process work? They totally can. <laughs> um, wow. It's the, the process is very demystified. I have athletes and students and colleagues reach out by email and just say, I have, a, I have a few questions or do you have some time to chat with me? And I love that. I mean, yeah, some weeks are really tight and I'm like, Ooh, I can't this week, but maybe like in two weeks or something. Um, but whenever I can fit in my schedule, I love, I love talking to people about my experience as a sports psychologist, my, how I got here, what schools I went to, what classes I took. You know, what were the outside workshops and things that I had to find? What conferences did I go to? I love sharing that. Um, and, you know, anything that I can do, I can. I remember as a student sending cold emails to <laughs> all the sports psychologists I could find in the database. <laughs> and some didn't respond, but some did. And they, you know, they answered questions, all the millions of questions I had. And I want to pay it forward and do the same. Perfect. Our facility is growing and you know, I want to support anyone who's interested in this. It's a very fun and exciting uh, field with all kinds of opportunities to do all kinds of things, but, you know, has its challenges at times. And, you know, I'd, I'd rather someone be prepared for what those challenges could look like uh, before than, than after. If possible. Well, and it, it's such a cool field to me that I clearly don't really know anything about, but it, you know, I'm a big tennis fan and back when Marty fish was in his heyday and, and, and he had some mental health going on. And then re more recently, Naomi Osaka, yeah. I think about all the things, all the stresses, everything that's going on in their lives. I can't even imagine. I can't put myself in their shoes. There's so much going on, but then I, I have a conversation with you and it's like, Oh my gosh, there is a lot more now than I'm sure there ever was in the past. And that's really exciting to see some of this grow. Mm -hmm. I'm super excited about the number of people that are gaining interest in the field, um, the number of programs that are popping up, accredited programs that are popping up. It's really exciting. I mean, yeah. uh, when I started my program in 2015, um, I just kind of patchworked some things together by asking questions, reaching out, thankfully having professors um, on faculty who were in sports psych and, you know, people who were willing to share their experiences, experiences with me. Um, but now there's so many more programs that are specific <laughs> to sports psych and that's really cool. Um, and I hope to see that continue to grow. Yep. Wonderful. Well, very good. Before we get out of here, just uh, make sure you hit us up on Instagram. If you are listening, we are the diving pod and our, our email is the diving pod at gmail.com. Again, we still have t-shirts for sale at cowingrobards.com. It's all in our link tree on our bio. Uh, just enter the coupon code dive pod at checkout. That gets me paying for your shipping. Uh, once again, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Zapata. It was uh, it was a pleasure to kind of briefly dig into the the vastly expanding world of sports psychology thank you i really had fun i like talking to you too i hope you have me back <laughs> <laughs> we would love to yes yes all right well we will see you next time